We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, alongside Jim Margulis as we are podcasting from Nashville, Tennessee. This is the day two recap of the 2023 winter meetings and we actually have news to talk about two items we had the major league baseball draft lottery so we know where the white Sox will be picking in the upcoming summer draft in 2024 they'll have the fifth overall pick we'll talk about that but the white Sox sign another player this is the second free agent contract signing for chris getz and they signed starting pitcher eric fetty to a two-year 15 million dollar contract according to jeff passan and when the White Sox signed Eric Fetty, it kind of opened up the damn gym. We are starting to see some movement here Tuesday night in Nashville in the winter meetings. Boston and New York made a trade. The Astros signed Victor Caratini. The Braves traded Marco Gonzalez to Pittsburgh. So, you know, bravo to Chris Getz. This has been a very boring winter meetings. And when he signed Eric Fetty, now we're starting to see some movement. Yeah, I think maybe outside of the Verdugo trade that none of the moves made justify having all those networks having stands <laughs> yeah. next to each other on Media Row in the podcast. Like nobody's lining up to talk about Marco Gonzalez and Cash being traded to the Pirates. But for the White Sox, like Fetty is a legit move that helps a legit need and also kind of uses the White Sox resources more than what we've seen previously this offseason, which is like, oh, we need better defense. Here's a glove guy. We need a shortstop. Here's a glove guy. Like just very simple, cheap solutions, positions that help in one area at the uh, expense of offense. And here's a case with Fetty where it's a little bit of a mystery and open-ended, uncertain what he's going to give the White Sox, but there's actually room to dream a little bit. Uh, see what the new White Sox front office and White Sox new uh, pitching um, order of operations and, and just the hierarchy that they have there with Brian Bannister, putting them to use. And there's just more room to maybe 
be excited about this kind of acquisition because it is open-ended. It could be a disappointment. It could also be based on other pitchers he's likened to and other uh, pitchers you know, whose circumstances are similar. Like, there's some upside there. Yeah, Eric Fetty, his two years prior moving over to the KBO in 2021 and 2022 with the Washington Nationals, very high ERA, well above five, and that's why the Nationals not tendered him after the 2022 season. Eric Fetty would have games where he would shock you, like six scoreless innings against the Los Angeles Dodgers, and then his very next start against the Mets can't get out of the first inning. He was quite frustrating for the Washington Nationals, was just not consistent. And then he moves over to the KBO, and he pitches for the NC Dinos, who have the best mascot in baseball. Uh, was it the buff Dino, Buff Daddy, or something like that. I'm a Doosan Bears fan myself, oh, so okay. I, I oh, take I'm offense sorry. to that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I did not want to offend you, Jim, uh, but you're wrong. But he goes to the <laughs> NC Dinos. He makes 30 starts, pitches over 180 innings, so averages six innings or more in each start, which is what you want to see. He goes 20-6 and six with his win-loss record. His ERA is two, and he wins the MVP in the KBO, and now he's leveraged that to a two-year, $15 million contract. And that's all I knew of what Eric Fetty did. But after the signing, more has come to light. And you wrote about this on SoxMachine.com. On what maybe has sparked this turnaround for Fetty going to Korea, Jim, is his preparation before the season. And I know you highlighted as far as an article from the Washington Post, but Eric Fetty didn't really participate in some of the more modern methods that pitchers do like using the weighted balls to help strengthen the shoulders and help out with mechanics. And he started to do that and it's done wonders for him. And now white Sox director of pitching, Brian Bannister, we now know uses Twitter to interact. And he added uh, three points on Twitter, which you could follow Brian Bannister on Twitter at real Banny. And what Brian Bannister tweeted was, one, Fetty works out at the same facility as San Francisco Giants ace Logan Webb in the offseason. Two, he added the same sweeper and split change to his arsenal like Webb. He did not have those pitches with the Washington Nationals. And three, Ethan Katz and I were both with Webb when these adjustments were made. So I think this could be maybe a Bannister signing, Jim, to convince Chris Getz, let's go and let's make this risk. And it's not a high-end risk. We're just talking about $15 million over two seasons for a starting pitcher. That's pretty cheap. But based on what Brian, uh, Brian Bannister said or at least tweeted out, I think it's a worthwhile risk. And now I'm more intrigued than I was when we heard about this rumor late last night. Yeah, I think we're seeing why... Brian Bannister wanted to come over to the White Sox given how little the White Sox have to offer. Somebody like Brian Bannister, who's accomplished uh, pretty significant things pitching-wise with the Red Sox and the Giants, like why go to the White Sox? And uh, the relationship, the overlap he had with Ethan Katz with San Francisco did uh, generate the idea that, oh, he's comfortable working with Katz, and there is a case where like he can step in and be somebody who who provides some like overarching uh supports for the pitching apparatus entirely without offending cats or like there being a power struggle in terms of like who's setting the agenda for pitchers based on the experience that they had before when Bannister was the same kind of 
pitching advisor for the Giants and Katz was the assistant pitching coach. So I think this is a case where we're seeing that partnership uh, come into light and working together to identify things that can help. And the White Sox are in such desperate need of innings and starts from anybody that they can take these swings at somebody who, you know, best case scenario, uh, I'll start with the worst case scenario is that he's just like a five ERA pitcher again and he's below average, but they still need a bunch of those guys to take up innings anyway. So they don't really care if he's making 750,000 or 10 times that because it's all the same. Uh, the other uh, part of that is like, you know, if it turns out great, then either he's somebody who maybe the White Sox can extend, although Scott Boris is agent, I would say that's probably premature, but you know, you can flip them, you know, nothing else like become a trade asset that you didn't have before. So uh, there's a whole lot of benefits to this working out. And when you look at his age, that he's turning 31 in spring training next year, still kind of youngish, I think, for the pitcher he is becoming. Like I, I when reading the article from the Washington Post talking about like how he was skeptical of weighted balls, he struck me as like when you look at the timing of when he was drafted, and how he was drafted, like first round pick, getting the bonus, seems like he was maybe like at the juncture to where like I'm getting paid too much to change, and the Nationals are prioritizing me to develop, uh, so like I don't need to put in the kind of work myself to be as good as I can, or I don't need to go outside the system uh, to be noticed. And so he hit a wall, and uh, w- with that approach, and then like I guess you know the. Uh, come to Jesus moment for you know not having a major league job and realizing that the KBO is his best opportunity to get starts and get paid and taking that very seriously doing the you know going to a uh, pitching lab uh, going to a development lab like building up the shoulder doing you know uh, conditioning uh, working on biomechanics to understand his release for a new changeup and for a new sweeper uh, I can buy you know developmentally that like he just hadn't really applied himself in that regard because he didn't have to. So it's not like a desperation thing where like, I'm just hoping to be noticed. I'm just hoping uh, that uh, this sticks. I would take that first round pedigree and his, you know, some success in the majors to say like he has arm talent that wasn't maybe uh, either developed all the way by Washington or just they didn't know how to do it, which some teams just don't, you know, some teams and pitchers don't mesh all the way. Uh, But that's why I can buy this more. And given that he's 31, pitchers who sign for that much at that age usually have a lot more injury problems. And he's made 27, 29, and 30 starts over his last three years. So if nothing else, he should be durable to where, like, even if he is that innings eater or that unimpressive five or six innings guy, those are five and six innings, uh, you know, a less proven pitcher or, a pitcher like Christian Mena, uh, Nick Nishrini, et cetera, like might not have to cover before they're ready to. Yeah, and when you're paying him $7.5 million over the next two seasons, that's one war. So if Eric Fetty could be better than one war, which he hasn't been for his major league career, so that would be a career high. That's how bad it was with the Washington Nationals, folks. But if Eric Fetty can be that way, then the White Sox are going to come ahead in this deal. I think... What reasonable expectations kind of similar to what we laid down for when the White Sox signed Mike Clevenger 25 starts 125 innings if you can do that let's see what the quality is like 
And yeah, Clevenger ended up being one of the best White Sox pitchers last year. They couldn't take advantage of the fact that Clevenger overachieved, but it's a totally different situation because the White Sox paid Clevenger eight million last year and then additional four million dollars that he opted out. He's still a free agent. Here you got someone for the next two years. So we can pencil in Eric Fetty into the White Sox starting rotation over the next two years. That helps build out the starting rotation. There's been a lot of questions, though. Okay, so what happens when the White Sox trade Dylan Cease? Who else is in the starting rotation? Time will tell. But as of right now, you're looking at Fetty, Mike Soroka, Jared Schuster, I assume Tuki Toussaint, maybe Bannister and Katz don't want to give up on Michael Kopech as a starter like... I think they should do. Maybe Kopech is still part of the starting mix. Nick Destrini, as Jim mentioned. Jake Eater, a possibility. No high-end guys, but I recently joined 670 The Score on Tuesday night, and I called the starting rotation right now for the White Sox. Interesting, Jim. Interesting could be good. Interesting could be bad. It's not boring. There's some interesting stories with all of these guys and angles. Maybe it does blow up in the White Sox face and they're the league's worst. Or they're great development stories or bounce back candidates. And I think that's what makes them interesting. I I am intrigued in what the White Sox have as a starting rotation right now. I'm not saying it's good, Jim. I'm just saying, again, it's interesting. Yeah, interesting is a, you know, it's, it's a word that has a shelf life. Like you can only be interesting for so long, but for starting a season, uh, sure. Like it's, it's better than like Jesse Schultons, who I would say is not interesting. No right. offense to Jesse Schultons, but like, you know, that he can only miss so many bats. You know, that he's not a great ground baller. You know, that he has to get by with just getting uh, imperfect contact for five innings, which as we saw, as he like reached the 15 in- 50 inning mark, was really hard for him to do. So he just couldn't quite pull it off, and then the returns uh, diminished in a hurry. And all of a sudden, like, it just wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't a credible major league starter anymore. So, yeah, Soroka, given the year he had before the pandemic, like, he's interesting for now. Tuki Toussaint, he had some interesting moments. Jared Schuster, like, probably the least interesting of the new guys, but because he's in a new organization that might identify something he can do, worth following from the outset and seeing, like, you know, looking at his first uh, radar gun readings and see if there's anything he's added uh, to you know his arsenal or to his fastball, uh, just to understand like if the White Sox had a specific idea or whether he was just like a guy they could get in a five for one for Aaron Bummer. Uh, you know, there there are a lot of opportunities here, um, and then yeah, I, I think there's still room to add another pitcher, especially like you know if they trade Dylan Cease. I would say there's room to add a pitcher no matter what. Yeah. Uh, if, if Dylan Cease gets traded, there's room to add two. Maybe they, want, they receive a guy who can take those starts in a trade for Cease. But, uh, yeah, the work's not done yet. And uh, but, but this is, like, the most encouraging signing or acquisition we've seen so far just because, like, it does point to maybe, uh, you know, new talent evaluators having a say uh, that weren't here before. And also just upside in a market we haven't seen the White Sox really pursue. Uh, the KBO or NPB, like none of those players either, uh, aside from like Mike Wright after a pandemic year, <laughs> that just didn't really count minor league contract. It wasn't quite the same thing as this. This is intentional and uh, they have, they, they've set some expectations with 
just how much they're paying him. Yeah, quick follow-up to that. Do you think this is the type of move if Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams were still in charge, would they have identified Fetty? Maybe if Bannister were there, if they could have hired Bannister, because it sounds like him and Katz, knowing Logan Webb, knowing that Fetty was working with Logan Webb, having seen some of that stuff, they might have said like, hey, um, we have a guy for you. And then they look at the price. Well, I guess you should say like if they don't want to deal with Scott Boris at all, and there was like a Scott Boris wrinkle in this yeah. negotiation. Um, but like, let's say like if, if they were able to hire Brian Bannister because like Ethan Katz had some pull, I could see it happening. But this is a case where like if people like Chris Getz, um, you know, who maybe were kind of tired of Kenny Williams, and to a lesser extent, Rick Hahn. So Bannister comes over specifically because of Chris Getz. And then, you know, they have this idea. And then maybe Getz talks to Boris and doesn't really have a pre-existing relationship with Boris. And this is a low stakes enough signing to where like he's not, you know, you can only expect to get so much for Fetty to where like he's not going to, um, you know, lead teams by the nose or ear, dragging them around the lobby of the winter meetings uh, to get him to up the offer against uh, five other teams and mystery teams. Um, then I could see it happening, but the weird wrinkle was, and I didn't realize this until like, I didn't know Boris was his agent until after the Mark Feinsand report said like, it's down to two teams and he'll decide tomorrow. And then like minutes later, I saw Scott Boris's agent like, Oh, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And, that- sure and sure enough, like the Feinsand report said in the range of two years and 10 million. And then it turned out to be two years and 15 million. So you know, maybe it worked. Maybe his methods work. Yeah. And maybe that's, that's the, uh, that's the Scott Boris difference trademark sign. Yeah. Uh, again, Boris does represent Dylan C. So we didn't see a Scott Boris press conference in day two of the winter meetings. Maybe it happens in day three. Maybe it doesn't happen at all. That would be kind of a, a surprise. But then again, Scott Boris did speak at the GM meetings in November at Scottsdale. Yeah. And maybe if like Shohei Otani is like holding this up, like he doesn't want to be second banana to anybody. Okay, I got it. So it's kind of like, I don't want to be an opening act for Shohei Otani, so I'm going to sit this one out. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about Otani and the MLB Draft Lottery after a quick word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. 
Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. So before the announcement of Eric Fetty signing with the Chicago White Sox, the MLB draft lottery took place. A lot of people are giving Brad Paisley, the country music star, a lot of crap for introducing. Listen, the way that it works for musicians or anyone of talent, you throw enough money at them, they will do whatever that you want. And give it up for Brad Paisley for presenting the official teams in the draft order for the 2024 Major League Baseball draft. Disclaimer, I do like some of Brad Paisley's songs. Uh, even though I'm not a big country fan. I thought he did an okay job, but for the Chicago White Sox, I guess you could just call it okay. They had the fourth best odds of earning the number one pick in the draft. They end up with the fifth overall pick. And Jim, there's a lot of people online, and you did allude to this as well on SoxMachine.com with the recap, that because the White Sox are picking in the top six, they cannot draft in the top 10 next year, like the best they can do, I think is 10th overall or 11th overall in the 2025 major league baseball draft. Yeah. 10th, I believe, but yeah, uh, we're certainly seeing the teeth of this new measure of the anti-tanking, um, implements that the league is using to try to avoid having Orioles losing a hundred games, a billion years in a row and the Royals and the pirates and such, and just stacking draft picks until it becomes time to spend. And, turning a really terrible product and, and having a reward for doing so. And, you know, it's not just the White Sox who are getting the short on the stick. You have the Royals who had a worse record than the White Sox tied for the best overall odds to get the first pick. And they're picking one pick behind the White Sox. So they also can't pick in the top six last year because they or next year because they had a top uh, six pick the year before. So like they are kind of stuck too. Uh, the A's are down to fourth pick after like, you know, the major league scheme that they use to uh, kill all interest. So they're not getting properly rewarded. And you have teams like the Reds who pushed, you know, and tried to make their young team interesting. Like they got the second pick, the Cleveland Guardians, who I wouldn't say pushed, but are competent. You know, they, they lost, but they were like competent in doing so. Uh, they had the top overall pick. So like, if the White Sox are trying to get better for 2024 and, you know, to, you know, I guess a professional better in 2024 and then like really aiming towards like swinging towards like 500 or better in 2025, like this gives them incentive to do it knowing that like, well, one, they won't get a top 10 pick anyway, but also knowing that like we might be 12th in terms of the best odds, but we might get first or second or third. So yeah, going, you know, tanking all out and losing games on purpose and and turning the uh you know ninth inning walk-off wins into disappointing events because like oh no now we're a draft spot behind where we we're supposed to be like that's I, I i think the nice thing about this even if the white Sox end up on the wrong end of it is seeing like 
when the White Sox are ready to add again in a meaningful fashion, like you can't do it too early because uh, the rewards of just straight losing aren't there anymore. And I guess the good news for the White Sox having the fifth overall pick, their estimated draft bonus budget is going to be greater than $14 million. And the way that the draft bonus pools have increased, even though they have the fifth overall pick, this slot value projected wise will be more than when the White Sox drafted Andrew Vaughn third overall and made him the highest draftee signing in White Sox history at $7.2 million, $14 million or more projected for a draft bonus pool. That is a lot of meat. Uh, That's a lot of cash to use in this upcoming Major League Baseball draft. So the White Sox will have an opportunity to add some interesting guys. If you are a Patreon supporter, you go to SoxMachine.com, and I put up a post of the players that I am following early for this upcoming MLB draft. But for those that are not Patreon supporters, or if you're listening to this now and it's like, you know what, I will become a Patreon supporter Uh, Just a a quick preview in this upcoming draft class because there's a lot of people that are bodying the draft class, Uh, saying Mm -hmm. this is a terrible draft class. I don't know for certainty if this is a bad draft class. It's just that last year was an amazing draft class, and we identified the players early that we thought could be exceptional. They were exceptional. And then you had one player who was ranked 10th in LSU starting pitcher, Paul Skeens, who was transferring from the Air Force Academy. So he was this great unknown, put up, put together the best college pitching season since Steven Strasburg, like legendary type of performance to go number one overall. There could be that possibility, but as of right now, there isn't a clear-cut number one. You have some interesting college bats, but they're either first baseman or second baseman. You have some interesting college pitchers, but they have huge reliever risk because they lack consistency, especially with their fastball command as they get deeper into starts, even though they throw 98-plus miles per hour. And the high school class of 2024 is not great, So now you're having top prep players in 2025 like Connor Griffin reclassify for the 2024 draft. And there's and we heard it at the winter meetings. There might be the possibility that Ethan Holiday, the younger brother, Jackson Holiday, and of course, the son of Matt Holiday, the former major leaguer. He could possibly reclassify, graduate high school early and enter into the 2024 Major League Baseball draft because he probably would be the number one prospect and go number one overall in the draft. We just don't know. There's a lot of uncertainty. But for those that are wondering, okay, what kind of player, Josh, could the White Sox get fifth overall? We're going to have to lean on to see and how well, especially in the college front, how these guys improve during fall ball and in the offseason and see what adjustments that they made early on in the season to have a better gauge. This is not as certain as it was last year where I could easily identify who the top five players were and they ended up being the top five players. And it wasn't even just the top five. It was like Baseball America's earliest mock draft after the lottery. I think I identified like 13 and like no no huge misses. Like there were some yeah. guys, you know, maybe the worst one was like a guy uh, picked – 14th who ended up being taken in the compensation round like after the first round like 32nd but like usually you have some big whiffs or injuries or anything like that and it was just kind of more or less the top 15 hit on shuffle 
So like even beyond that, like Jacob Gonzalez was somebody who fell a little bit and like Max Clark rose a little bit. Uh, but yeah, there are some mild shifts here and there, but no huge swings and misses or misidentification of talent or any sleepers. It was pretty consistent all the way through. I'm going to be watching a lot of Wake Forest baseball. That's all I'll say. So if you go to Winston-Salem to catch the dash, maybe on a Friday night, you go watch the Demon Deacons because they're going to be a great baseball team with multiple first round picks this year. And we could ask noted Wake Forest uh, alum Jason Benetti. Uh, oh. Yeah. Well, well, he got his law degree from there, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the MLB draft lottery. And we'll conclude this podcast episode with what you'll be reading in the morning because nationally, Jim, everyone is complaining about this. And I don't know where I firmly sit, but there's a lot of finger pointing at the situation with Shohei Otani and how. Otani is holding everything up and the way that Otani and his agents want to conduct business, try to live in this world of secrecy, even though we know that he met with the Blue Jays down in the spring training facility. Dodgers manager Dave Roberts didn't want to lie to anyone and confirm that they met him a couple days ago. But then you speak to the Dodgers front office executives and they're like confused and why Dave Roberts said anything at all. And you got Ken Rosenthal complaining about it in his latest column in The Athletic that it's just really killed all the buzz in the winter meetings. And it's like, come on, man, Eric Fetty signed with the White Sox. What are you talking about? That's a huge move. I, I'm obviously kidding. But, yeah, it does feel like, uh, again, you and I thought that Dylan Cease could be traded before the winter meetings. I was half expecting Cease to get dealt during the winter meetings. But on the pitching front, which is the strength of this free agency class and honestly the trade market right now, yeah, it does feel like Otani's holding everything up. Yeah, especially I think with the trickle down to what Yamamoto is expected to get, where they're saying like it started like maybe at like high 100s and then it became 200, 250. Will he get 300 million being a 25 year old ace? So if he's getting that kind of money, then yeah, it does it does trickle into uh, Otani territory in terms of like how can you fit both of these guys on your payroll? and not get slammed by the luxury tax year after year. Uh, so I think that's where I think Yamamoto's market surging um, maybe made it really hard because like if Yamamoto uh, signs elsewhere, then you have to consider Blake Snell. And then Blake Snell, you know, then you have to, you know, that's where the, the real dominoes happen, which I thought Otani would be largely removed from. But I guess when Yamamoto crossed into $200 million territory, the way Blake Snell wouldn't, that's when I think that, yeah, it just became all one big mess. And, uh, I don't really understand the secrecy. I mean, part of it's fun because like I enjoyed Blue Jays bloggers like triangulating private flights the way they do with like college football or college basketball coaching searches to where like, why is this plane leaving Bloomington, Indiana and going to uh, you know, Lubbock, Texas? You know, for there's only one purpose is, you know, and same thing with like Clearwater to Anaheim. Why is this happening? Uh, so I enjoyed that part of it that because, because, you know, as uh, annoying as, uh, college football and basketball coach economics can be when you realize like, you know, how much they're being paid and where that money could go. It is a little bit fun to see like how good people are at sleuthing that kind of stuff. So that was, there was some whimsy to that, but when you have like Dave Roberts not being able to tell the media that the Dodgers met with him, even though everybody knows the Dodgers have, um, that just gets silly. Like that, you know, 
I can see it if it's Otani's rubbing people the wrong way or his agents rubbing people the wrong way, like that, you know, people can't even know the name of his dog. That's how secret, you know, everything is. It's, it's a little bit of overkill. And yeah, just watching all of those uh, TV stands along Media Row and just, you know, Eric Fetty, Marco Gonzalez, Jared Kelnick being the biggest moves they can talk about, it is a waste of a showcase. It is, yeah, and I get where Ken Rosenthal is saying the winter meetings have been boring. For the large part, yeah, if you're just trying to cover the news, which that's what Rosenthal is there to do, that's what Jeff Passan's there to do, all the national guys, yeah, I get it. It's very boring. You are in a large <laughs> convention center. What did you put in, Jim? 15,000-plus steps each day? <laughs> uh, and I was only there half a day for for today. Yeah, 15,000, and yeah, just I was there... A little bit in the morning, had to go home, take care of the kid, came back, and still 15000 without thinking. Yeah, and I spent a lot of time audio editing, video editing, researching on Eric Fetty, a lot of time sitting down. Yeah, I get it. I can understand where the national guys are going to rip the winter meetings here being very boring. At least for us at Sox Machine, take solace. I thought this was a, a positive trip. It was well worth it for me to come down and – Obviously, see you in the fam gym in Nashville, but it was still worthwhile for us to attend the winter meetings. I took you to, to some good restaurants. I oh, think. heck yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're in Nashville, hit up Jim. He will take you to the good food places. Yeah, but you know, it's um, it's good for writers in terms of just like, you know, Dan Zimborski. We met him. Today. Yeah, we finally met Dan face yeah, to face. Like, how many times has he been on the podcast? Like almost a decade. Yeah. yeah. Just like, you know. 84 time returning champion pretty much yeah, yeah. dan zimborski like you know we know you know we, we've known him for years but to meet him in person after all he's contributed to us and like all the questions he's answered in terms of just like uh you know doing special projections for us or like uh just you know wanting to know if we're understanding something correctly and like all the outreach he does to uh to help us out like to you know say like hey thanks great to meet you etc just that's rewarding for us. So even if it doesn't result in headlines for uh, that, that, that garner a lot of traffic and, and Nielsen ratings for the national media, for the people who go there who just, uh, you know, learn who these people are, read them every day, you know, tweet at them or email them, et cetera, like to meet them in person, always nice. Yes. Mike Farron as well. Yes. Uh, MLB Great Radio, Sirius XM, calls college baseball games for ESPN. Yeah, it – it's a fun time for us. I can understand if you are not there or if you do not report on baseball. That is a baseball fan. Man, this is supposed to be like the big news week. This is where all the signings happen because that's what happens to the NFL and the NBA. And it's crazy, right? Free agency opens and you got to be on Twitter because it's just going to be insane on who goes where. And it's so hard to catch up. And I don't know how NFL and NBA reporters do it. Like you have to block out a week to cover two days worth of news because so much is happening and it's just so crazy and it comes in a flurry where baseball just feels like it's in quicksand. I We've had this conversation many a times. I don't know if baseball would ever go back to something like with the lockout, like having a firm deadline in mid-December and then open up after January before spring training to have another flurry of moves just to create action, thinking that deadlines create action and oftentimes they do but the players association will never agree to it because this is supposed to be a free market mm -hmm. let the free market play out 
And the league's just going to hear from the reporters. And I don't know what to tell if I is the league of just like, ignore the reporters. Reporters are just going to complain right now. This was not a very fun trip for them. This is not a, you know, fun for them is working really hard and generating a lot of views and listenership, et cetera, because the excitement of activity in the offseason, it could have just been a fluke that, yeah, the biggest free agent signing is someone that is wanting to keep things super secret behind closed doors. When it happens, it's going to be huge news and it's going to generate a lot of views and listenership. It's not going to happen during the winter meetings. And he's the only player ever like himself in baseball history. Right. <laughs> Just hitting, pitching, uh, you know, MVP, the entire country of Japan, uh, potentially uh, presenting huge marketing opportunities overseas to this team that signs him. Like there's so much riding on this that, you know, even like a Juan Soto when he's a free agent next year, like we've seen like very few players as good as Juan Soto, but we've seen Bryce Harper's free agency. We've seen those, you know, Alex Rodriguez's free agency. We've seen players like him before get paid uh, what they're worth or close to what they're worth. Otani, like nobody really knows what he's worth. It's it, it, There's a whole lot of speculation in uh, terms of intangibles, in terms of just world visibility, uh, what he brings. So that's why I think like, yeah, try putting a dollar on him. Good luck. Especially if he, you don't know if he's going to pitch. Like there's a whole lot of moving parts to this that I can understand him gumming up the works in a way nobody else would. Watch tomorrow when you are walking to the lobby and I board my flight back home to Chicago. Otani shows up. Yeah, and my, and my son gets <laughs> trampled. <laughs> so I'll probably be with him just taking a lap around looking at all the trees and such. Yeah. Well, I had a lot of fun in Nashville, so this will be my last day at the winter meetings as I fly back home to Chicago. Of course, we'll cover any additional breaking news when it happens for the Chicago White Sox as things wrap up. It's the Rule 5 draft on Wednesday. We'll see if the White Sox make any picks, but with signing Eric Fetty, the 40-man roster theoretically is already going to be booked up, so I don't know if the White Sox are going to make additional moves to cut guys off the 40-man roster to add anyone from the Rule 5 draft. I'm not expecting the White Sox to be active on that front, so we'll see if they make any trades or any free agent signings before everybody leaves Nashville. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. We also upload our podcast episodes into our YouTube channel, where you can watch at youtube.com slash Machine. If you do watch our videos on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button. Greatly appreciated. Created a YouTube short and also an Instagram reel covering the breaking news for Eric Fetty and you could follow us on social media platforms like Instagram at Socks Machine and follow me there at Socks Machine underscore Josh. If you enjoy our work and you want more, you can get more by becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. For our existing Patreon supporters, thank you guys so much for your continued support allowed me to come down to Nashville to help cover the winter meetings along with Jim. So that's a great example of what you get out of your continued Patreon support. So thank you guys so much for that. Monthly plans start at $2 or you could save with an annual subscription. Again, you can sign up at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. The Socks Machine podcast is a production of SocksMachine.com. You're on for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire podcast network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.